Anyway, we'll go ahead and take your Bibles. Go to 2 Corinthians tonight. 2 Corinthians. And we're going to kick off a series through 2 Corinthians and we'll just kind of kind of follow the Lord's leading on this. But like I said, I keep... There's just a lot of different stuff I've been studying. I keep ending up back in 2 Corinthians and thinking I, need, I want to preach that. And there's just so much good stuff in here. And just a little background before we start preaching this, the Corinthian church, um, you know, if you read 1 Corinthians, he's preaching to a church here that really has... You know, it had a lot of problems. It was a church that, I mean, just seemed like it was doing everything wrong. He's getting all over him. You might remember that was the church he said, I can't speak unto you. You know, uh, I can't speak, like, I said, I have to talk to you like you're babes. You know, I can't give you meat. I have to give you milk, and we're going to look at that. But it's kind of interesting when you look at some of the things that he tells them here in 2 Corinthians and contrast it with what he said in 1 Corinthians, you can really see the change that took place in this church. And I think it's exciting because, and you know, I don't think we're a First Corinthians church. At least I hope we're not. <laughs> you know, last week I talked about how sometimes we can be sleep. You know, there's churches that are sleeping, and I hope we're not one of those churches that are sleeping. And I think we always ought to have that attitude. You know, that this could be. You know, even if you don't really think that, but we should always have the attitude. This could be us. We could be the ones sleeping. We could be the ones immature. Because what that does is it constantly gets us looking to God and basically looking to Him and asking Him, Lord, how are we doing? Show us. And if we have that attitude, He's going to show us. Okay? And we might not always like what He shows us, but uh, we do need to know. We can be like the Laodicean church and think that we have need of nothing and have God saying we're wretched and miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And I don't want that. I want to know the truth when it comes to how God thinks about me and how God thinks about our church. and uh, But it's encouraging when you look at 2 Corinthians and the things He tells them because when you look at the 1 Corinthians church, it's like, man, there's no way that church is ever going to do anything. There's no way they're ever going to accomplish anything. But I don't know what it was that changed them. Maybe it was the letter that Paul sent them. Maybe that alone... You know, got him right with God. There's a lot of things you know in the Bible. We don't know what all went on, what all happened. We just get little bits and pieces. But one thing we do know: this church had a lot of problems. Paul wrote them a letter confronting them with their problems, and he was very blunt in his letter. I remember talking about that a lot when we were going through First Corinthians. I mean, Paul laid it out there for him, and I think that's what you should do. And we're going to see here too in Second Corinthians, he's laying it out for him too, but. We see how they got. They obviously something changed them. Something caused them to get right, and they became a completely different church. And so we're going to start reading in Second Corinthians. And really, I think there's there's one main theme that we see in this chapter that I want to talk about tonight, and that's basically experiencing God's comfort. Experiencing God's comfort. We see a lot about God's comfort in this passage, and it's something that all of us, you know. Need all the time, okay? And especially if you are uh, being a faithful Christian, if you're doing the right thing, there's going to be challenges, there's going to be struggles, and you are going to need God's comfort. There's you know dark days that are coming where you're really going to need God's comfort, and we kind of see here how that all works in chapter one. So let's start reading in verse one, Second Corinthians chapter one. It says Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God 
and Timothy, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth with all the saints which are in all Achaia. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And I like how he says that, you know, the God of all comfort. We live in a society that is more stressed out, more burdened, and more turmoil than anything ever before. And what's crazy about America today, okay, we've, none of us in our lifetimes have ever experienced war within our borders and our homes. I mean, none of us have ever looked out our back door and saw a literal war taking place, and you know, unless maybe you lived in a city and there was a gang war or something going on. We do have that it goes on. But I mean, we live in a very peaceful country. We've lived under peace. Um, we live in a very prosperous country. Okay? I mean, the poor of our country today are pretty well fed, aren't they? And so we do. We live in a, in a peaceful country. A prosperous country, you know, when we talk about the problems in our country, we're usually referring to moral problems, okay? And understand that moral problems that are in our country, that's because of individuals making bad choices, okay? They're, they're doing that to themselves, but yet with all that we have, I mean, we're not starving, we're not fighting for our lives, but yet look how many people today just can't seem to find comfort. Look at the, you know, the problem with drugs that we have in this country. I mean, drugs are just running rampant. I mean, addictions, I mean, left and right, not even just on the illegal drugs, but on the pharmaceutical drugs. Look how many people are on all these different medications to get them through depression and all these things. And a lot of these people, too, that you talk to that are struggling with depression, and I'm not trying to be mean, maybe I'm being a little little callous here, but when you look at their lives and what they've got going on, it's like, what do you really have to be depressed about? You know, these people have anxiety problems that they don't even have a job. They have no responsibilities. They have no children. I mean, it's like, where are you getting your anxiety from? (laughs) I mean, you're not doing anything, but yet people are just, they, they can't find comfort anywhere. You know, they, uh, and, we see in the Bible that real comfort, it comes from God. He is the God of all comfort. And I think the problem in society with people that can't find comfort today, it's not a drug, you know, it's not, you know, because they're, you know, we, we've got a medical problem and our government isn't providing enough mental health, uh, you know, care for people. I think it's because our society is becoming more and more godless. And therefore, people are not going to be able to find real comfort and they're not going to get it from drugs. But you know, the source of our comfort today, it's God. I mean, I'm glad I don't have to take pills to go to sleep at night. You know, I'm, glad I don't, I'm glad I don't have to do that kind of thing. I get comfort from God. And verse 4 says, "...who comforteth, comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comfort of God. There's a purpose for God's comfort that He gives us, and that He God wants to comfort us. That way, we can go and pass that comfort on to someone else. And that that's and that's something we need to remember too. This world that's looking for this comfort everywhere but God. Okay, these people they need they still need comfort. And do you think their psychiatrist is going to tell them to get in the Word of God? 
Do you think their psychiatrist is going to tell them, you know, start obeying the commandments of God? And, you know, they're not going to do that. Okay, we have to do that. We've got to show them, and one of the ways we do that, we have to give them that comfort. The way God has comforted us in our difficulties, we've got to give that that same comfort to other people. And then you know, then it, when you do that, when you're comforting somebody. That's going to give you some good opportunities to be a witness to them. That's going to be a good opportunity to give them the gospel. If somebody's struggling, I mean, you're just calling them a you know a drug addict and calling them names and stuff, and not comforting them, not helping them, then uh, you're not you're going to have a tough time giving them the gospel. But God, He's merciful to us. We don't always deserve comfort either. A lot of our problems that we have are our own doing, just like the world's. We get ourselves in trouble. We get and we have misery and things because of our own sin. And God's merciful and He comforts us. And we've got to do that same thing to other people. You've got to give it to people who don't deserve it. And that's why God gives us that comfort that we don't deserve. So we can go give the comfort to someone else who doesn't deserve it. But we see here He comforts us in all our tribulation. And you know, tribulation is just part of the Christian life. You know, Jesus said, in the world, you know, these things have I spoken unto you, that in Me you might have peace. Okay, Our peace comes from Jesus Christ. And He said, in the world, you shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. You know, most of the time, when you see the word tribulation in the Bible, it's talking about what we go through as Christians. Okay, And I know this particular verse, it's not talking about the great tribulation, but tribulation is just, that's what Christians go through. That's what we, that's what we face. Tribulation and Christianity... They go hand in hand, okay. And tribulation is what the world gives us, okay. You know, a lot of people have mistaken tribulation and the great tribulation as the wrath of God, but that's not what it is. Tribulation is what the world does to us. It's the persecution that they give us. People try to say like the great tribulation is the wrath of God, but that would make no sense because Jesus constantly told us we're going to have tribulation. In the world, you're going to have tribulation. Yea, all live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. He told us we're going to have all these things, and He told us we're not appointed under wrath. Okay, So, tribulation, God's wrath, two completely different things. And as Christians, we are going to have tribulation. It's just part of our life. And the truth is, the more you serve God, the more you're going to have tribulation. 2 Timothy 3.12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. I mean, that's just that's a promise from God right there. Many people think that if I get saved and I start serving God, everything's going to go good. A lot of times people, they'll start going to church thinking this is going to help improve my life. You know, God's going to start blessing me. Good things are going to happen. I'll start obeying all these other things that God said to do. And when all, all of a sudden, persecution comes their way. Think, you know, things get worse than ever. And then they look at God like, Lord... What's going on? And the truth is, remember when Jesus told them about all that was going to come, about all the tribulation and persecution that was going to come their way? He said, I'm telling you this so when it does come, you won't be offended. Okay? Jesus warned His disciples that they were going to suffer tribulation. He's warned us that we're going to suffer tribulation so we won't be offended. And I think sometimes many churches today... You know, you've got like your Joel Osteens that tell everybody everything's going to be great. You know, boy, you're just, you know, you're just wonderful and you just serve God and everything's going to be great and sunshine and roses. And that's not what the Bible says, is it? 
It says, if you live godly in Christ Jesus, you're going to suffer persecution. People aren't going to like you. I mean, it's like kids in schools these days. You know, it's it's tough in, in the public schools. If you are, a, if you're a young person that you want to learn and you want to do good and you want to excel, a lot of times what happens? You suffer persecution. You know, you're going to get called the nerd, or the teacher's pet. I mean, kids that want to do good in school and actually want to learn and want to do things right, what happens? They get persecuted. You know why? Because the other kids see that and they know they should be doing the same thing, but they're lazy and they don't want to. And so what do they do? They try to bring you down to their level and the world does the same thing to us. They know they should be living godly. They know they should be doing right and they shouldn't be committing some of these sins. And instead of them just minding their own business or even encouraging the ones that are doing it right, what do they want to do? They want to bring us down to their level. They want to get us doing the same things they're doing. I mean, why, why does it bother the world that we think you shouldn't commit adultery? I mean, I would think the lost people would be thrilled because that means that husband, that lost husband out there, he doesn't have to worry about me trying to steal his wife if I'm obeying God. I mean, I would think that would be good. He doesn't have to worry about me coming and trying to murder him. If I, if I believe the Bible and I follow the Ten Commandments, why is it that they put that pressure on us to sin and it's because they can't handle the conviction. They're not willing, you know, we're shining a light on their works. And they love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And so the world, it always persecutes. It always does. And a lot, a lot more persecution is coming. We saw many calls this week from the Pope for everyone to just unite around everything other than Jesus Christ. Okay? And, you know, around, we, you know, everybody to come together. And you know what? People like us, we're going to stand for the truth. And as we become a smaller and smaller minority, it's going to be even easier for the world to persecute us. And they're going to do it. And the more we take a stand, the more we try to do the right thing, it's just going to come. And when it does come, don't get surprised. Okay? When tribulation comes, don't get offended. Jesus said it was going to happen. You know, I, I get excited when I see the Lord keep one of His promises. Okay, I mean, don't you all get excited when you see the Lord keep His promises? Well, guess what? He promised we're going to have persecution. We're going to have tribulation from the world when we do right. So, hey, that ought to just be a reminder. Hey, the Lord was right again. When we should get worried is when we're not having tribulation or persecution because it means something must be wrong. But uh, unfortunately, we just like to take the good stuff and throw out the bad stuff, don't we? But uh, it's a package deal. So, the more you serve God, the more you're going to have tribulation. But look at this. In verse 5, and this is something too, this is going to take a little bit of faith. But we need to remember this. Okay, We've got to claim these promises. You don't just get to pick and choose. You don't get to cherry pick the promises of God that He's going to fulfill and that He's going to keep. You've got to take the whole thing. But he says, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. So, he says, listen, man, we've got big troubles, but we're getting big comfort from God. Our troubles are abounding, but the consolation that comes from God is also abounding. You see, the greater the trouble, well, the greater the comfort. And look, what are people looking for today? You know, they're looking for something spiritual. I believe much of the world, you know, they want something from God. They want something that's real, but unfortunately, they don't have enough faith to be obedient to God so they can actually experience some of this stuff. And whenever you're obeying God and that persecution comes, those difficulties come your way, 
you are now in a position where God, He's going to comfort you during that time. And you want to talk, that, that is a, a wonderful, wonderful thing to I mean just experience the comfort of God. It beats any pill that you can take. It beats any drug that you can take. Experiencing the comfort of God. And Paul knew God's comfort very well because he had experienced so much of it. You know why? He experienced so much of it because he'd been through a lot of persecution. Paul had been through a lot of hard times, and so he knew about it full well, and Paul was able to be a great comfort to other people. You know why many people can't be a blessing to others and can't comfort anybody else? It's because they've never experienced any of God's comfort. God hasn't done really anything for them. You know why? It's because they've never been obedient to God. And one, it is a blessing when you do get blessed, when you receive that comfort. But I believe it's a greater blessing when you're able to be a blessing to someone else. And once, and when you've experienced that comfort from God and you're able to pass it on to the next person, it is a wonderful, wonderful thing. But until you're obedient to God, you're not going to experience that. And then verse 6 says, "...and whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer." or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. Paul said this suffering that we are going through, it's for your benefit. The things that Paul went through, the things that Paul suffered, he said you all are benefiting from that. We all benefit today from the sufferings that Paul had, don't we? We read about the comfort that he received. We read these stories. You know, guys like Job, look how many times and how many people have been comforted by the sufferings of Job. I mean, Job, what he went through was absolutely horrible. But can you imagine, you know, I think most of us in here are probably generous enough that if we knew our trial that we went through was going to be a help to millions of people, we'd probably take it, wouldn't we? If we knew that the trial that we went through was going to help bring many people to Christ, I think we'd probably be a little more willing to take that, wouldn't we? I mean, I mean, I mean, I think most of us in here, most, you know, at least us guys, right? I mean, I'd like to think that I would take a bullet to see, you know, souls saved. Okay, I like to think, you know, maybe I would take that trial if it meant great things happening. But most of the time, what do we do whenever things do come our way? When we could be, you know, when we do have an opportunity to be a blessing and a comfort to other people, man, we give up. We throw our hands up in despair. And now all these people that are watching what's going on in our life, we've missed a great opportunity to be a blessing to them. See, I don't know what all you're going to go through. I don't know what's coming your way. And God might want to use me as an example to you. That maybe you know you all see me go through something difficult. And then later on when you face something, hey, you, I saw what God did for Pastor when he was going through that. You know, If He did it for him, He'll do it for me too. And you know, I I'd like to think that I would you know suffer a little bit if it meant helping you all. And that's what Paul's saying. These things that we've gone through, it was for your consolation. It was for your comfort. It was for your salvation. You got saved. You know, you were comforted because of what we went through. The hard times that we faced, they benefited you. Didn't benefit him. Okay? I mean, if if I have a you know a big health problem that I get diagnosed with, I mean, what benefit do I have in that? Okay? I mean, if I go and I die you know, from it, 
And all I do is, you know, keep a good attitude, set a good example, keep the faith. I mean, what did I gain from that? Absolutely nothing. But maybe other people will gain something from that. They'll see that. They'll see the faithfulness. They'll say, "Hey, you know what? I mean, he wasn't afraid to die." You know, there's a lot of people out there. They're scared to death of dying. I mean, they they have no idea what's waiting for them. And maybe them seeing me die and go to the grave with nothing to fear, seeing me go to the grave rejoicing, that's going to cause them to look at that and say, "You know what? Maybe I don't need to be scared of death. Maybe if I put my faith and trust in the same thing he did." I can have that same assurance. And maybe somebody will get saved as a result of it. And God will do that. God loves souls that much that God will let your, you know, He'll let you die early if it, if it means saving someone's eternal soul. Okay? And so uh, we need to remember that. And Paul definitely experienced that. I mean, just, you know, I don't want to go to prison. But Paul spent some time in prison. And that, you know, his faithfulness there. It's helped many, many people. And he understood that. And he didn't benefit anything. We see Paul at the end of his life, you know, he lost everything, earthly speaking, serving God. He lost everything. But we can't even imagine the rewards he's going to have in heaven. And Paul, he didn't care. I count those things, the loss, I count them as dung. Because he understood what he was going through, it was making an eternal difference in people's lives. And we ought to have that same attitude. And so, and he took comfort in that kind of thing. Just like Jesus Christ, when he went to the cross, okay, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He was able to handle the pain, he was able to handle the shame, knowing that it was going to make an eternal difference in the lives and for the souls of millions. And so, we ought to have that same attitude. We ought to have that same mind that He did. But we, you know, we take comfort in knowing what God has done for us, He'll do for others. Verse 7, He says, "...and our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye be also of the consolation." Paul, he looked at what they were going through, and even he took comfort in knowing that, hey, the way God comforted me, God's going to give that to them too. And I, I know I've seen that a lot here with people right after they've gotten saved or right after they start getting right and getting their act together and doing things right. So a part of me is scared for them because I know the devil's going to attack them. I know they're going to have tribulation. But at the same time, I, I, don't pay, I take comfort in the fact of knowing that hey, God, if they'll stay faithful, if they won't faint, and in one of the later chapters we're going to see a lot about fainting, if they, if they won't faint, God will get them through it. He will give them comfort. And a lot of times, you know, I was thinking about this, you know, it's like when I look at them, I, I picture the same way God looks at us. God sees the trials that we go through. When God sees the hard times, and God is not sweating it up in heaven. Okay? He knows what He's going to do. He knows He's going to get us through it. He knows we're not going to die. He knows we're going to survive. And many times, you know, I've kind of been the same way, like like with my kids, for example. You know, my kids. Um, it was it was kind of funny on the way, on vacation, on the way there, they were like talking about some of the punishments I have dreamed up for them in the past. That at the time when they were facing those punishments, I mean, boy, I was the worst dad in the world. They were crying and were you know miserable, and I probably shouldn't bring up too many of those things, but. Um, you know they're they're all laughing about it and thought it was funny and talking about how they were going to do them to their kids, and 
these things that I did, by the way, you know, nothing ever really hurt them. Okay. Now they always thought they were. They always thought they were going to get hurt, or dying, or whatever. But it, it, uh, you know, it, I I knew while I'm punishing them, while they think they're dying, they're not going to die, and this is going to be good for them. Okay, and I wasn't worried one bit. They were scared to death. I wasn't worried one bit. And what was funny is then on the on the way there, Jason, he's kind of scared of the heights and the roller coasters and stuff. And I was like, well, since you guys think all that stuff was funny, how about I make you ride all those scary rides, make you ride those roller coasters, and then a few years later you can look back and laugh at that. Because at the time when you're going through something, you know, it seems terrible. You know, a lot of times, you know, kids when they're being punished by their fathers, they think their fathers are terrible. But, you know, I've never, when I was, you know, disciplining my kids, sat there thinking, man, am I going to destroy them? Am I going to kill them from doing I never worried about that. I knew this is going to be good for them. And God's the same way with us. He knows what He's doing is going to accomplish something. And while we might act like we're dying, while we might be panicking, God knows hey, this is good for you. And I've literally, you might think I'm a mean dad, but I've seen, you know, with my kids and their schoolwork and stuff, I've seen them bawling. And just crying because the stuff they had to do was so hard and it was so difficult. And honestly, when I got, you know, I, I've kind of laughed at it. Why? Because I know it's not that bad. They eventually will figure it out. And one of these days they're going to look back on the, this day when they were crying over this work and they are going to laugh at themselves because that was no big deal. It was, it was so easy. I know that and so I take comfort in that. And I think God's kind of the same way with us. And it's the same thing with, with new believers too. You'll see some of the things they're going through. I mean, a new Christian, a person that just gets saved, you know one of the hardest things in the world for them is just getting them to church. That's hard. It's, it's a challenge. It's difficult. Just them going to church is a challenge and a half. And a lot of times we look at that and say, what's wrong with them? You know, they must not, they must not even really gotten saved. We can't... They, can't even get their carcasses in the church. I don't believe in a salvation that will get you into heaven that won't even get you in the church house. Okay? Listen, they're babes in Christ. They're going to need their hand held a little bit. They're going to need some help along the way. And just them going to church, it's going to be a trial. It's going to be a difficulty. Them dropping a $5 bill on the offering plate, it's going to be the biggest deal in the world. It's going to be the biggest sacrifice they've ever made in their whole life. They're going to think they're going to starve to death because they did that. And you and I, we look at that and we just kind of, you know, we kind of laugh because we know, hey, that's not a big deal. You all think you're dying from this, but God's going to get you through it. God's going God's to comfort you. God's going to help you. We've experienced this before. And, and it does. It, it causes us to take comfort in that, doesn't it? And so, um, then in verse 8, go to verse 8, it says, for we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia that we were pressed out of measure above strength insomuch that we despaired even of life. Okay, And now, 1 Corinthians does not tell us what event this was. I believe I know which event it was. We touched on it this morning. We're going to go back and look at it in a little bit. But notice this too, because the Apostle Paul, I mean, he was pretty optimistic in a lot of his writings. And this, you know, he's talking about God's comfort and all that God does. But here he says, hey, remember this time we were in Asia, you know, that we despaired even of life. Paul now, he's getting real personal and he's, he's telling them, 
how he felt. I mean, we we wanted to die. Verse 9, But we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver in whom we trust that He will yet deliver us. Ye also helping together by prayer for us, that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world and more abundantly to you words. So he's trying to explain to them. He's telling them something he went through. Okay, and he and he tells them about an event in Asia. And look over in Acts chapter 19. Turn over to Acts chapter 19. We kind of touched on this this morning, but uh, I believe this uh, is probably the event he's talking about in Acts 19 verse 26. It says, "Moreover, ye see and hear that not alone at, at Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia." This Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods which which are made with hands. Okay, so right here we see he you know he's in Asia, he's there in Ephesus, so that not only this our craft is endangered to be set at naught, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worshipeth. All right, so Paul's there in Ephesus, and they're preaching against. God's made with hands. Okay, He's doing the right thing, isn't He? And now He's got these people that are working against Him. They say, hey, these guys are teaching against our custom. They're teaching against our gods. I mean, our god Diana that all of Asia and all of the world worships. They're obviously exaggerating here a little bit. But I mean, this was their god. And so in verse 28, "...and when they heard these sayings, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And the whole city was filled with confusion." And having caught Gaius and Aristarchus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions, and traveled, they rushed with one accord into the theater. And when Paul would have entered in unto the people, the disciples suffered him not. So right here, we I mean, this, what, you know, just think about this here. Here he is preaching to this multitude of people in this theater. And Paul, man, he had a heart for souls. He loved people. And here he sees Paul's singing, man, this is an opportunity to turn a city. To Christ. I mean, this is. I mean, this is a multitude of people. We get these people saved. I mean, it's going to change all of Asia. And so he's. I'm sure he's excited. You know, most of the time, you know, preachers when they preach, they think what they preach is people are going to listen, people are going to hear, and you know, and that's okay. And Paul's thinking that, and sure enough, he has people working against them, and the whole crowd starts chanting for two hours. Great is Diana of the Ephesians, and just imagine that Paul's. He's wanting to preach to these people. He's wanting them to hear, and they don't even listen, and they get, they finally get ran out of there. And he wants to go back in there. He wants to go back and keep preaching. But the disciple, you know, it says certain of the chief of Asia, which were friends, um, or he says, yeah, in verse thirty, the disciples suffered him not, and certain of the chief of Asia, which were his friends, sent unto him, desiring him that he would not adventure himself into the theater. Some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused. And the more part knew not, wherefore they were come together. So most of these people, they're in there screaming, they're hollering, all this stuff. And it's just mass confusion that's in there. And I guarantee you, and Paul knew that if he just had an opportunity to preach to these people, that many of them would have gotten saved. And nobody got saved while he was there. 
He's wanting to go back in there and you know the disciples, the people there that were his friends, they wouldn't let him go back in there knowing that if he went back in there, he would probably die. And I believe this very well could be the event he was talking about. And they, he was discouraged. I mean, imagine, you know, they, they traveled a long distance to go there. They had this great opportunity and just, you know, probably just a few people, a few people stirred up the crowd, a few people got the multitude not to listen to him, got him chanting this, you know, great is Diana of the Ephesians, and no one got saved there, and they left, and they left discouraged. I mean, this was a heartbreak to them. But yet with Paul, he tells us this here, but yet, you know, when you look at the stories in the book of Acts and just his writings, he didn't seem like the kind of guy that would despair of life. He seemed to be pretty optimistic and have faith, faith most of the time. But Paul had some very, very low times. And you know what? Eventually, God would comfort him. You know, God would give him that comfort that he needed and he would get through it. But so this is just another reminder that, I mean, nobody we know is better than Paul. But yet, he had some very hard times. You live godly, you're going to suffer persecution. And Paul didn't want to give them the idea that things were easy for them. It's like, man, we've had some challenges. And Paul often he didn't like Paul didn't like talking about himself. Okay, whenever he would talk about himself, he would usually throw something in there like, "I speak as a fool." Okay, there's a lot of preachers that that are out there that love to talk about themselves. They love telling stories about themselves. They love talking about how much they suffer and all they go through and how hard they work and how much time they study. And you know, I guess you can do that if you want. Paul did, but every time Paul would do that, he said, "I speak as a fool." And I guess it's because he was talking, you know, talking about himself. Maybe fools like to do that is what he meant. But he uh, he he rarely did talk about himself. But when he did, it was some tough times. He talked about you know the shipwrecks that he went through. You know, he talked about his times in prison, the times he was beaten with rods, you know, the times he was stoned, all these things he went through. And he didn't want to give these people the idea that these things were easy for him. Okay, it's not going to be easy getting stoned. It's not going to be easy getting beat with rods. But even though he did go through these things. It made God's comfort that much sweeter. Okay, most people have never experienced that sweet comfort of God because they've never really gone through anything. You have to be going through hard times to experience God's comfort. Okay? And unfortunately, you know, we say, Americans, man, we're so, we're so spoiled. Our life has been so easy that we do we just think that. You know, God has no right to allow anything bad to ever happen to us. When they had the attitude that to die for the cause of Christ was a privilege and a blessing. Boy, I'm telling you, Americans, we've got, American Christians, we've got some real problems and a very wrong way of thinking. But um, Paul, look at verse 13, we see that Paul considered them just in the rapture. I believe is what he's talking about here as His reward for all His trials. Look at verse 13 and 14. He says, For we write none other things unto you than that we read or acknowledge, and I trust ye shall acknowledge even to the end, as also ye have acknowledged, just in part, that we are your rejoicing, even as ye also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. So uh, right here we see that Paul's like, you're our reward. You're our rejoicing. That's what he was looking for. Paul wasn't looking for an easy life. Paul wasn't looking for just everything going great for him. Them 
in the presence of Christ at His coming. That was His reward. That was His hope. In 1 Thessalonians 2.19, He said the same thing. For what is our hope or joy, our crown of rejoicing, are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus at His coming. For ye are our glory and joy. Paul was trying to tell these people, listen, I've been through some hard times. I've faced some tough battles that nobody would want. But let me tell you, I've experienced some comfort in all those during all those times. I was not alone when I went through those things. And what do I hope to get out of it? Well, I hope that those difficulties that I went through set an example for you that has strengthened you, that has helped you. And one of these days when Jesus Christ returns, you in the presence of the Lord at His coming, that's where I get my joy from. And Paul, I think, was trying to tell these people basically, if I just if what I my sufferings benefits you, if people get saved as a result of what I go through, then you know I'm okay with that. I mean, imagine it's going to be great going to heaven and seeing Christ, but boy, I can't think of anything much greater than seeing other people there that are there because of you, because of your witness, because of your example. You know, whether it be you were the one that gave them the Gospel and you led them to Christ, or maybe you were just the person that gave them the track. Maybe you were just the person that invited them to church. Maybe you were just the person that gave the money to the missionary so he could go somewhere and be a witness to those people. I mean, whatever. I don't really care what part I play as long as I play a part in it. And I want to play a part in seeing people saved. I want to set an example. I want to be an inspiration to other people. And even if that's all it is, even if just my example, my attitude, it encourages that next person to do the right thing. Man, that's good enough for me. I do. I just want to play a role in this thing. I just want to be an influence. I don't have to be the main thing. And that's what Paul said. He's like, if, if this benefits you, if you're in the presence of the Lord it is coming, that's my reward. That's all I really need. And so then... Uh, in verse 15, look at verse 15, and I think this is interesting. Look, look at what he says in verse 15. He says, And this is the confidence I was minded to come unto you before that ye might have a second benefit and to pass by you into Macedonia and to come again out of Macedonia unto you and of you to be brought on my way toward Judea. When I therefore was thus minded, did I use lightness or things that I purpose? Do I purpose according to the flesh that with me there should be yea, yea, and nay, nay. But as God is true, our word toward you was not yea and nay. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is preached among you by us, even by me and Silvanus and Timotheus, was not yea and nay, but in Him was yea, for all the promises of God in Him are yea, and in Him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. And I know the wording is a little confusing in there, but basically what he was saying here in this passage is you know, our words weren't getting we told you like it was. We laid it out for you. We didn't beat around the bush. We told it just like it is. We didn't have we didn't have to be we weren't you know we didn't have to be careful. You know, we didn't spoon feed you. We we were able to lay it out for you. And I think it's interesting that he says that because turn back to first Corinthians chapter three. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, 
But as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ, I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. For ye are, are, for ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and division, are ye not carnal and walk as men? Paul did not tell it like it was to them in 1 Corinthians. And I don't believe he was being a hypocrite here. They couldn't handle it. You know, there were some things they were not able to bear it. Okay? This morning, I believe I told it like it was to all of you about the Pope. Okay? Now, I wouldn't just come out and do that to a Catholic. Okay? They're not ready to hear that. They would not, they would not understand that. If, if I, if I told it to them the same way I tell it to you. I ha- I I can do that to you because you're able to bear it, but there are some out there that could not bear hearing it that straightforward, hearing it just like that. And so, you know, while I believe it was appropriate for here, you know, maybe not appropriate, you know, to your coworkers or family members or something like that. You you do have to be careful with them. Okay, they're lost, they're carnal, they're not going to be able to receive that. And Paul. Now, I mean, he, he's able to tell it like it is to these people. Okay? The message that I preached last Sunday night, okay? I can't, I can't, I couldn't preach that in most churches. They're not ready for it. Most Christian people are not ready to hear what you all heard last week. They're, they're not prepared for it. They're not ready. It would probably be offensive to them. There's, a lot of other things, I guess, that they they need that they have not been taught that they would need to learn first. It's not something you you know what we taught last week isn't something you can just throw in people's face really. Okay, most people, most Christian people, are not ready for it. They have not been prepared. They have not been taught right. And so you know there are some there are sometimes some things with some people you do need to be careful. Okay, and there's things that we believe. And I said, around you, I can tell it like it is. But with the world, sometimes we do have to be careful. I'm not talking about being deceptive, but you know, you just you can't give it to them all at once. <laughs> and Paul, even Paul himself didn't do that with the Corinthians, but now he's able to do it. It's yay, yay, you know, nay, nay. Just we're telling it like it is, and that really shows the change that took place in this church because that is completely different. Than what he told them in First Corinthians chapter three, and it's because this was a, this was now a different group. They've grown up, they've they've matured, and so we need to we need to remember those things. Okay, the way I tell you things here, that doesn't mean you should go and tell your coworkers those things the same way. They're not ready for it, or even other Christians, they might not be ready for it. And so we've always got to keep that in mind. I don't think we're being a phony when we do that, unless Paul was being a phony. Okay, and I don't think Paul was a phony. He was just smart. Okay, you know, and what he did, it worked for the Corinthians, didn't it? Where if he'd have tried shoving the meat down their throat, we probably wouldn't have a second Corinthians, okay? Because they probably wouldn't have been around. So Paul, you know, he told it was like it was to them, unlike he did before. And then Paul reminded them finally of their self-sufficiency that comes from the Holy Ghost. And Paul really, he, I think he, here in these next verses, he's just trying to point out he was nothing more to them. Than just to help. Okay, remember we talked about this morning. Paul, I'm sure most would agree, beats the Pope. 
But even Paul didn't make a big deal about himself. Verse 21 says, Now he which establisheth us with you in Christ and hath anointed us as God, who hath also sealed us and given us the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Moreover, I call God for record upon my soul that to spare you I came not as yet unto Corinth, not for that we have dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy, for by faith ye stand. I don't have dominion over you people. We're just trying to help your faith out. That's what Paul wanted to do. That's why he's writing him this letter. I just want to help you. I am not, you know, I am not your master and lord. I am not your you know, your authority and all these things. I just want to help you. That's the attitude that we ought to have with people. They say, I'm just trying to help you out. Okay, now if we want to be the boss with people, a lot of times, you know, we, we do we like to tell people what to do. Hey, you need to get saved. You're going to hell if you don't get saved. Well, listen, we're not their boss. We can't make them get saved. But we can try to help them. Okay? Now, do you think you telling them and trying to force them to get saved is going to work? Do you think that's going to help them? Or do you think maybe showing some kindness, you know, taking some time with them, you know, you know, teaching them, you know, that's what's actually going to help them. And that's what Paul did. He didn't see himself as this authority figure that could tell them what to do, even though he was an apostle. He said, I just want to be a helper of your faith. And that's the attitude that we ought to have. We just should just want to help people. There's a lot of churches where there's, it's full of people that are very controlling. It's like they want to control everybody in the church. Why don't we just have the attitude, I want to help people. And thank God that He, the help that He gives us. We are not alone in this thing. And... God is always there. He gives us that comfort. And so let's do what Paul taught here and take that comfort and give it to the next person. There's a whole world in need of comfort out there. And let's give it to them. So with that, let's all stand together. Heads bowed, eyes closed.